Welcome to the South Fellowship Podcast. Here at South Fellowship, we exist to help people live in the way of Jesus with the heart of Jesus. And wherever you're listening from today, we hope you're encouraged by this week's message. Did not turn it on. That's why you can't hear me. Uh, Good morning, friends. My name's Alex. I'm one of the pastors here. We're in the middle of this series, uh, Everyday Spirituality, that we'll get to in just a second. But but just wanted to say for those of you that were involved in VBS, that had kids that came to VBS, all those different things, saw VBS, just wanted to give a huge shout out to the team that put that together, to Amy, to Darwin, uh, to the, the, the group that... The group that participated with them in that, it was so fun to see the place full of all these different things. We had this whole stage turned into kind of something like a professor's workshop with a time machine and everything. It didn't work. I tried it. Um, but, but then all of these people from the community that just were so stuck and committed to their characters... I would try and have serious conversations with them and couldn't get them out of character. It was actually deeply frustrating for me, but great for the kids. Um, and so we, we just, what a great time. Everyday Spirituality is a series that we began last week. It's designed around this idea that especially in seasons like summer, life gets very busy, that we have all of these intentions to do specific things to connect with the God of the universe. And yet, If we're honest at times, life just kind of gets in the way. The fourth century writer Augustine said this, Late have I loved you, O beauty ever ancient, ever new. Late have I loved you, created things kept me from you. Doesn't say they're bad, doesn't say they're good, doesn't judge them, just acknowledges that there's this block between him and his relationship with God, with all, with all of the things that might get in the way. Life got in the way is maybe a paraphrase of what Augustine would say. It just got so busy. The uh, writer Tish Warren Harrison says this, the church is called to be a radically alternative people, marked by the love of the triune God in each area of life. But often we are not sure how to become this alternative people. Maybe that touches on a nerve of something you feel about faith personally. How do you move it from theoretical to actually working for you? How do you move from, I've got all these great ideas and yet they never seem to to happen. I I have these moments perhaps, maybe it's early in the morning when I gather to do something uh, like a spiritual discipline. Maybe I pray, maybe I read a text, but then I go into the day, into the week and it just feels like it kind of gets lost. Maybe you land up in a busier season of life and all of the things that you've done as a rhythm, they kind of drop off. Part of the reason we did this over the summer is we just recognized there's this moment in the summer where the rhythms change. Suddenly you find that you're traveling for a couple of weeks. Maybe church is just not something you get to tap into as often. Maybe you've got kids that are awake first thing in the morning and there's not the rhythm of school, but there is the fact that it's just go, go, go from the beginning and you're just trying to keep your head above water. What we wanted to do in this series is, is one, find some ways that you and I as everyday followers of Jesus can, can throw in some different spiritual disciplines and there may be a way that we can redeem some moments that we actually just want to pass over. Maybe we get to redeem some of the things that are just mundane in everyday life. The, the question that maybe surrounds all of this is how do you take next steps on your journey when life is busy. 
How do you make faith work during the week? How do you engage with God in different ways? This is based on this idea in Romans chapter 12 in the message version. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work and walking around life and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Seems like according to this writer, Paul, there's moments in life that will feel like we're almost on a rocket ship. There's moments that are like high in the heavens, that are spectacular, that stand out. And then there's the everyday moments. Then there's just the normal rhythms of life. And somewhere for Paul, he says, yeah, the everyday moments, they're important too. The spectacular might take care of itself, but that everyday rhythm of finding ways to engage with God for you, that that matters. So last week, we, we came up with this idea. In choosing to walk, we are invited to slow down, to see more clearly, and to take next steps. We spent some time playing with the idea of contemplative walking, what it is for you and I to walk with God in the same way that our ancestors were told in this book, Genesis, walked with God. We're told in this book that, that man and woman walked with God in the cool of the day. I gave you this French word that seemed to get to sort of the, the root of that idea. The word flaneur, the ability to wander detached from society with no other purpose than to be an acute observer. What it is to be able to take a stroll and notice God appearing on your pathway to be able to connect with him. The writer Richard Rohr says that you might experience God through two different ways. You might experience him through contemplation. You might experience him through intentional slowing down. You might experience him through something like a walk that allows you to connect with him in a particular way. The other way that you might experience him is through suffering. And I have recently experienced suffering because I have traveled. Because I have traveled, and I have traveled with young children. And until you have done that, you do not know what suffering is. I don't know if you've noticed, those of you who have flown recently, but suddenly everybody's on the move again. Everyone is flying all over the place. The, the airlines don't have enough space for everybody. And so we did our normal pilgrimage back to England. Maybe it's a migration or something like that. But we headed back over to the other side of the pond a few weeks ago, and we got to meet all of those people that we love. And, and we always have some ideas about what we want to do this year. My oldest child very much wanted to go and experience Shakespeare's birthplace. So here she is just hanging out with the bard and just enjoying that. And, and then there's, of course, the main reason we go, which is not for an activity or anything like that, but, but we mainly go for the faces that we get to see at the end of that journey. So uh, for some reason, this photo didn't turn out great on this screen. It looks okay, there, this is the clan Walton just hanging out, enjoying life together. This is the purpose of the journey. That's why we go. But it still requires a journey to get there. It still takes something to go. And as we sat on these airlines, as we argued with flight attendants about whether our four-year-old son should be sat by himself on a midnight flight, as we waited for baggage that didn't show up, as we lost all manner of things, we had moments where we said, this journey it might be worth it because of where we're going, but the journey, the journey itself is a struggle, is work. I took some pictures along the way just to sort of, you know, capture some of the moments. This is early on. All is well at this point. There's a lot of smiling faces, but we had this moment where we were stuck in border control. And I just said to my kids, I just want you to show me a face that tells me how you feel about this situation. 
Uh, and so this was the line, just packed with people, and they told us it's going to be about 60 minutes to get through this. And so here are the faces. <laughs> and then this one. There was one of my wife, Laura, as well, but I didn't dare show that without permission. So, so here it is. No. <laughs> These are the faces of people experiencing what it is to journey, what it is to suffer in that respect. At one point, as we were stood there, my second daughter, Gigi, my seven-year-old, said this to me. This was her quote, her understanding of the experience. Why do I have to keep walking? Why do I have to keep walking? When she says walking, what is she talking about? She's not talking about being a flaneur. She's not talking about strolling. She's not talking about a contemplative walk engaging with the God of the universe. She's talking about something else. I tried to explain to her that, well, we have to keep walking simply because we can't stay here. This is a non-place. It's not where we started, and it's not where we'll end up. We can't stay here. You have to keep walking, yes. But again, what kind of, what does she mean when she says, I don't want to keep walking? Because it's not the contemplative thing. It's not the flaneur thing. The character Geoffrey Chaucer in the movie Knight's Tale is asked why he's walking down a road with very little clothing, and he says simply, I am trudging. I am trudging. What does it mean to trudge the slow, weary, depressing, yet determined walk of a man who has nothing left in life except the impulse to simply soldier on? It's this idea of just continuing to put one foot in front of the other, to continue to journey when the journey doesn't feel good, to continue the journey when you've forgotten why you're making the journey in the first place. You simply keep moving. He uses... Uh, to trudge, Led Zeppelin used the word ramble. But now it's time for me to go. The autumn moonlights my way, for now I smell the rain, and with it pain, and it's headed my way. And sometimes I grow tired, but I know I've got one thing I gotta do ramble on. I keep moving, I keep going. This is the language not of strolling, not of contemplation. This is the language of suffering. This is the language, perhaps of pilgrimage, of a journey for a purpose that is difficult and hard. This is the language of airports and the struggle of traveling transatlantically. This is what it is to just simply to continue moving. We're now not talking about strolling. We're talking about trudging. And I'd love to introduce us again to this idea of pilgrimage. So if you've never heard of this idea, a pilgrimage is simply a journey for a spiritual purpose to a specific place. And while it's not maybe familiar to us in the 21st century, for most of the Old Testament, pilgrimage is a deeply familiar and important concept. A couple of things that might unpack that for us. This is Exodus chapter 3. A group of people are trapped in a land called Egypt. Uh, they have been there for hundreds of years. They are slaves. And they are given this promise. I have promised to bring you up out of your misery in Egypt into a land flowing with milk and honey. There is the place you are now. There is the place that you are going to be, a good place. And in between, there is a journey. In between, there is a process of moving one step after 
another, of arriving eventually somewhere. In the midst of this journey, these people seem to feel very similarly to how my daughter Gigi felt at specific parts of our navigation across the Atlantic. In Exodus chapter 16, we're told, in the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt, there we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. In the midst of a journey getting from one place to another place, there are these moments of, I just, I just love to give up. Can I please stop walking now? Can I end this journey? I can't do this anymore. The king of Israel at one point, David, says this about this whole group of people. We are aliens and temporary residents in your presence, as were all our ancestors. Our days on earth are like a shadow without hope. We are a people that move from one place to another. We just always seem to be journeying. Most of the famous characters within the Old Testament have a pilgrimage as part of their story. Abraham is told to get up and move from one place to another, to go, and God says, I will be with you. Jacob, his grandson, is told the same thing, gets up and leaves. And in the course of that journey has a moment where he sits at a place that he calls Bethel and said, this is the house of God. Here I have experienced God. For this Jewish people, the idea of going on a journey was central to what it was to experience God. And in Jesus' time, every adult male was required to go to Jerusalem three times a year. They they went from a place that was separate, a place that was distant from the temple and that sense of God's presence, and were told to move and make this journey all the way to Jerusalem. And there in those moments, they would have some kind of spiritual experience, some kind of encounter with what it was to be in proximity to the God of the universe. This idea of pilgrimage is all over the Old Testament. And then as we move into the New Testament, it stays. But at least to start with, not as a practical thing, but as a metaphor. The writer Hans Bosma says this, by implication, the Christian life is one of pilgrimage. If you have chosen for yourself to follow Jesus, you are making a journey with him. That journey began with this moment of embracing who he was and all of those different aspects of his death and resurrection, but it requires a movement that eventually will take you to this other place, this other space that is different from this one, and in the midst of that, right, is this journey. In the midst of that is this current time, this moment. The writer, John Bunyan, characterized all this in his book, The Pilgrim's Progress. It pictures the life of this man called Christian and all of the things he encounters as he makes this journey from the city of destruction to what is called the eternal city. And it follows him as he struggles with what it is to be a pilgrim in this world. Somewhere there's this movement from it's a practical, spiritual, physical thing to it's somewhat of a metaphorical thing. It's a spiritual thing rather than a physical thing. And yet I just wonder, I'm intrigued as to whether we're missing something and whether when we look at some people that have done this as a practice over the years that we're not maybe missing some opportunity to grow in our faith, especially around this idea of travel, which most of us would say is this mundane thing that we just have to get through. We just have to survive. Around the time that Jesus died and rose again and the church exploded in this, in this new life and began to reshape the world, up until that point, pilgrimages had been common. People went on pilgrimages regularly in all sorts of different faiths. And then suddenly, they just disappeared for a while. 
Suddenly, nobody went anywhere. Perhaps it was simply that most of the followers of Jesus in the early times were very poor people. Perhaps it was that it was illegal to be a follower of Jesus. There was persecution against all of the church, so you couldn't travel easily and across different borders. Perhaps it was the idea that Jesus said the temple is no longer the center of everything. Now you, you followers of Jesus, are the temple. But for whatever reason, for a couple of hundred years, nobody went anywhere. And then something changed. There's this moment in history that that different scholars have disagreements about, whether it's a good thing or a bad thing. But there's this moment where Constantine, the emperor of Rome, decides, no, I'm going to become a Christian. Just makes this decision out of nowhere up until this point. Every emperor has been incredibly against Christianity. And now suddenly the most powerful person in the world, now he's on board. Now he's on the side of the followers of Jesus. What, what does that change? What does that mean? At least initially it means one thing in particular. He wants to know whether this thing is the real deal. And I love the fact that the most powerful history person in, in history at this point has an opportunity to go discover just whether this Christian faith is real and he needs to send someone that he can rely on to go and make this journey to Jerusalem to start to investigate. And who does he pick? He picks his mom, the person he can trust most in all the world, it seems. And so he sends his mother on this pilgrimage to Jerusalem to just investigate the details. And she comes back with this report. And what happens in the aftermath of that is suddenly everybody wants to make a pilgrimage. Suddenly, every Christian that has the means is making journeys to Jerusalem and then to Rome. And this continues till about the 13th, 14th century. And Rome, Jerusalem start to lose their popularity. And everyone starts going to this place, Santiago de Compostela, this journey across northern Spain from all sorts of different parts of Europe. This way of St. James suddenly becomes this route that people take to make a pilgrimage, to have a spiritual experience. The route is difficult, the route is hard, but it ends after all of these different pathways up into different areas of the Pyrenees mountains with this view of the cathedral. This is what they're journeying for. For whatever reason, journeying for this moment, this moment of arrival, this moment where the pilgrimage ends and they have some kind of experience. There's people within this community that have done this journey, have taken it as a spiritual pilgrimage. A friend of mine did it carrying a surfboard because he wanted to raise money or raise awareness of the church that he was pastoring that was designed to reach the surfing community. People have taken this journey. They have made this physical pilgrimage and suddenly, after years of not being a thing, It's a thing again. If you and I don't do this, are we missing out on something? Is this something that we're supposed to pull into our practices? Should you be thinking about doing this? Should I be thinking about doing this? Maybe the question I would ask first is, why? Why do people do this? What are they looking for? When people leave homes and take a journey that ends in a specific place, what are they hoping for? What enrichment is it supposed to bring to their spiritual life? And a question we might have to ask before we can answer that is, are there places in the world where God is particularly, and are they different to other places? There's an idea within Celtic theology of thin spaces, idea that you can go to specific places and there God dwells in a different way. To go back to the story I referenced earlier, the story of Jacob, Jacob goes to this place, Bethel, and he calls it a place where God is, the house of God. 
Should we be looking for these places? Should we be engaging with them? Should we be trying to figure out, God, where do you dwell in a specific way? Or, or is that just not a thing? Is that just not a reality? Perhaps another question we might wrestle with just a little bit is, are there equally places where such, such terrible things have happened? That there's some kind of evil dwelling there that we're supposed to avoid if you go to somewhere like Auschwitz to the death camps. Is there something that stays there, that hovers there, that lurks there? Does God, does the spiritual realm work in that way? Are we supposed to look for places like Holy Island in England where people have gone for years because monks dwelt there in past times and people go and say, no, there was an experience I had. Is that something we're still supposed to be doing? Would that enliven our spiritual life? Would that speak to us in some specific way? And what I wonder is this. I wonder if we could ask people, and we can in actual fact, what they experienced when they went looking for these specific spiritual experience. If we could ask them what did they find? Did they find what they were looking for? Did this decision to travel, this different decision to pilgrimage, did it give them what they were hoping for? Did it change their lives with God in such a particular way that they could say, yes, you should definitely take this practice on board? And what you interestingly find time and time again is that the experience of getting there is valuable, yes. But as these people experience this, what they find is the journey was kind of the point. The journey was kind of the point. This is a clip from the, uh, a picture from the 2010 movie, The Way. It's a movie about a doctor whose son passes away while about to take that same journey I just talked about. And after trekking across all of Spain to finally end up at this cathedral, what he says about his journey is this. I thought I was walking for one reason, and I experienced something completely different along the way. Maybe that story has connections or similarities to this story, The Wizard of Oz, this story about these three interesting characters that make a journey to find something that this wizard can give them and find out that they were actually encountering or developing those skills and those things uh, along the journey for themselves. There's something about pilgrimage as a practice that people do, and then the experience, no, the end of it wasn't the point. Perhaps you've been on a mission trip and experienced something similar. You went expecting to experience something at a location, and yet you found that the journey itself was just as important for you. Somewhere, we as people seem to forget that the journey matters. We become people of the end of the journey, people of the beginning of the journey, but we forget there is something transformative along the way. My friend who made this journey said this, after 100 miles, my feet are absolutely full of blisters. Everyone I have met so far wants to know about the surfboard, and I have the pleasure of sharing the vision of Surf Church, and also that faith is an adventure, not something that is dull and boring. Nothing he said speaks to the end of this journey. It speaks to this process, this journey that he is on. I guess what I'm saying is as we think about travel, I'm not saying that, we, that, that you should go and take a pilgrimage, but I am intrigued as to what would happen for us as people if we could take our everyday moments, our commutes, our journeys, our moments of traveling to places that we love, to see faces that maybe we haven't seen for a year, and what would happen if in some way we got to redeem those things? Because if you're like me, you are starting a journey and you want it to end and you want to get to the place that you're going. And you maybe miss the whole point in the middle. Somewhere on the journey, maybe there's something for us. Perhaps I would say this, when you travel, choose to travel 
on purpose. When you travel, choose to travel on purpose. There's something about the journey that is difficult, that is hard. It puts us in a place where we're maybe not comfortable. When I think about traveling, I recognize these things about myself. I'm out of my normal rhythm. I don't get to use the mug that I use to drink tea off out of every morning. I'm out of my comfort zone. Things are different to how I encounter them regularly. Perhaps most importantly for me, I'm out of control. And I love to be in control. My wife would tell you I'm such a control a plane, I actually have some vague desire to be the pilot of the plane, even though I have no training for it whatsoever. There's something about my wiring that says to me, I am safer if I am doing something. And yet the truth is that it's not that way, right? Somewhere I need to travel because all of these things change for me in those moments that I travel. I get to ask some questions as I travel. Why did I begin this journey? What am I really looking for? Will I keep going on it? And those are questions that I need to ask, not for the physical journey, but I need to look at for my own spiritual journey, my own life with God, the own journey that I am on with Him. On a journey, something interesting happens. We get to experience what it is to be between two places. We have left one place and are not yet at the other. For that period, we experience a glimpse of what it is to be a pilgrim. And as we capture what the New Testament's heartbeat is, it seems that this idea of journeying is central to what it is to follow Jesus. This is the writer of this letter, Hebrews. In chapter 11, he says this, These all died in faith, although they had not received the things that were promised. But they saw them from a distance, greeted them, and confessed that they were foreigners and temporary residents on earth. Somewhere these heroes of faith saw their journey, saw their life with God as this journey, where they didn't get all of the answers that they had hoped for, didn't see all of its fulfillment. In the Second World War, there's this moment where the Allied powers are sure that victory is coming. They experience what is called D-Day, this moment where it seems like the war is decided. But there's another date later on called Victory in Europe Day. And somewhere there's this space in between this hovering moment, this already not yet, the thing is decided and yet it hasn't been decided. And it seems like this writer of this letter to the Hebrews seems like he believes that we operate somewhere in that space. We have experienced as followers of Jesus what it is to know his death and resurrection for us. We have experienced what it is to know new life. And yet our experience of the journey is, is it all it should be? Is this what it is, somewhere there are those moments in the midst of that journey where we feel like, no, this can't be where it's supposed to be. This can't be the story. Our community just lost someone that was very deeply loved, lost someone who passed away unexpectedly. And so as a community, we think of Al and we think of the girls uh, and, and we mourn the loss of Barb. There's something about that moment that has, it hovers and it says, no, 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 this shouldn't be where the story goes. This shouldn't be the way things are. It's that moment between the already and the not yet. And we sit there in that moment in the journey and we experience what it is to have questions, to have doubts. And that's what this writer of Hebrews seems to be getting at when he says, all of these died in faith. They had not received the things they were promised, but they saw.
distance greeted them and confessed that they were foreigners and temporary residents on this earth. Somewhere in that midst of the story, in the midst of that journey, we, we develop trust, we develop hope. How do we take the journeys that we make all of the time and how do we process them in such a way that we get to learn about this greater journey? How might we make this happen? How we might, might we redeem these mundane journeys that we resent? These moments where we wish we could do the Star Trek thing and move quickly from one place to another. Maybe we can take our smaller journeys and maybe we get to reflect on this greater journey. Maybe you're not sure where you are on this journey. Maybe there's this process of deciding for you, do I even believe in this Jesus and what he offers? Am I even following him on that journey? And the beautiful thing here is it seems with pilgrimage, curiosity no less than devotion does pilgrims make. You're invited on this journey, whatever you're sure about, whatever your questions are. I think there's some confusion for us as followers of Jesus in the 21st century, particularly in the West, as to just what exactly we're hoping for at the end of this journey. We started it maybe for some reason, maybe we were introduced to it as children, but somewhere we're not exactly sure where it's going. The Babylon Bee occasionally has some articles that are certainly funny, if nothing else. And I read this one recently. Christian not sure why he should look forward to heaven when he already lives in America. We're not sure necessarily that the journey is going where we want it to be. We have all sorts of questions about how it ends exactly. But there are some ways that when I journey, there's some experiences I have that when I, I would characterize usually as negative, but I get to learn from, I get to grow in. As you journey, as you journey on purpose, here are some invitations that just work for me personally. As you journey, I'd like to invite you into getting lost. Because there's something about getting lost that allows us to remember that in this greater journey, you are actually wonderfully found. In those moments where you journey and think, I don't know where I am. Those moments where you feel out of your comfort zone. Moments where you feel perhaps confused and disorientated. Somewhere the grander Jesus story says, no, you may be lost temporarily in this world, but beautifully you are wonderfully found. In Luke chapter 15 we read this, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. There is something about the experience of being lost on a journey that has the potential to remind us in that grander story, that grander journey, no, we are actually people that are found. Maybe there's some moments where we find ourselves stuck in the journey and we're invited to remember you are actually not in control, and that might be a good thing. I had this experience a couple of years back. I, I missed an exit coming off the highway, and it was deeply frustrating because as I missed the exit, I found myself in this traffic jam that just stretched for mile after mile after mile, and I could watch myself as, on the map as I sat in traffic just a few hundred yards from my house, which was in between the two exits, and I sat there boiling with this deep resentment about just how stuck and powerless I was in this moment. So you experience moments like that right now. Not in a journey, but in everyday life. 
Perhaps there's moments that you look at your story and ask, why is the story here? Why does it hover here in this way? Why do I feel powerless to move it to the next thing? Why am I still going through this mundaneness, this way of being? In John chapter 15, verse 5, we're told, if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And it's something that I deeply need to hear in my desire to control every aspect of the story. I need to be reminded that my life is centered in Jesus and who he is. And in those moments where I can't move, in those moments where travel stops, in the moments where the flight is delayed, I get, I'm invited to remind myself that, no, you were never in control of this thing in the first place, even when you believe you are. Because those moments of travel and moments of journeying where we find ourselves alone. We find ourselves separated from those that we love. We find ourselves in the midst of goodbyes and the emotion of tears and the separation that comes with living all over the world and being able to move to any different place. And in those moments of being alone, somewhere perhaps we're invited into remembering that God is present. And in the midst of a life journey that feels deeply alone, that finds itself in the midst of grief, finds itself in the midst of choicelessness, finds, it, finds itself in the midst of loss, in those moments when we're alone, we're invited to remember God is present. In Matthew 28, it says, Therefore go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you, even always, to the very end of the age. Perhaps in those midst of a journey in which we would long to turn back, long to give up on the journey, where we start to question whether the end is even worth the journey that we're undertaking. We're invited to remember where we are going to remember the beautiful purpose of this great journey that we are invited to in Jesus. In Hebrews chapter 12, it says, Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, for the joy set before him. He endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. For each of us in the midst of physical journeys, perhaps there is that GG moment of like, I just don't think I should have to keep walking. And maybe we feel that spiritually as well. Maybe there's moments in the midst of this journey we say, is this thing worth it? What is the purpose of it? Where does it even lead to at the end? In the midst of our physical journeys, when we take them and reflect on this greater journey, we get to reflect on the goodness of Jesus and what he has done for the joy set before him. And finally, maybe in being free to travel, we get to look for the stranger on the way. In free, being free to, to move about, we get to move out away from the regular relationships that we engage with all the time. There's something about those regular relationships that are wonderful. People have certain expectations of us. People believe that we'll, we'll act in certain ways. But something changes when we travel all over the place. Somewhere we go off to different places, and all of those expectations, if we think about it, they kind of disappear. It's in those moments no one particularly holds us accountable. No one expects anything of us. You can travel all over the place, and you can be anybody that you want to be. Perhaps in those moments, it's 
when you get to realize who you actually are, maybe the mask gets to come off just a little bit. Perhaps there's moments where you drive past someone on the street and you feel like I have to stop and you know, help someone in need. I have to do a certain particular thing. Perhaps you see a homeless person and feel like you have to stop because there may be somebody watching you in a community you know well and suddenly you travel far from there and nobody's watching, nobody's observing and nobody cares and there's something there about being allowed to be the person you actually are, seeing what God has actually changed in you. Laura and I had this experience that I'm going to finish with a few, about a year ago, which was just wonderful for us. We were traveling back from seeing some family. It was late at night. We were exhausted. And we have a four-year-old that finds that kind of experience very exhausting, very difficult, who just doesn't know how to control his emotions. And we'd made the final plane journey, and we were waiting for a shuttle to get back to the rental car. And at this point, Jude, our four-year-old at the time, three, is just done with this journey. He doesn't have anything left. And he's just in tears about the fact that he has to do anything else on this journey. And we're stood outside waiting for the shuttle to arrive. And I'm kind of mentally processing how many seats I know are in the shuttle to get to the, the place where we've parked our car. And how many people are in front of us in the line that's waiting. And I know just looking at it, there's no way we're getting on the shuttle. And we've already been waiting a while. And when will the next one come and in the midst of that as the shuttle arrives people start to make their way onto it and and we get down to those few people that are in front of us and I look and say wow it's these people or it's us these guys get on or we get on and there's no way that we're all getting on the shuttle and as we're waiting for the shuttle Jude is just in that place of just he has nothing left just bawling his eyes out and this wonderful couple in front of us just turn around and say to us you know you guys get on the shuttle it's best that you go Nobody wants you here is really what they were saying. This is just at a place where you, know, you, you are really not doing anybody any favors. And so we had this moment of getting on the shuttle and somehow the numbers worked and this other couple managed to get on with us and they sat with us and it turned out that they had three kids all the same ages as ours. I even got a picture that they sent me for us and they just shared about what they'd experienced as they traveled and Jude still just struggling to compute the situation, struggling to contain his emotions, just longing for something to eat. And if you know my son Jude, there's one thing he loves more than anything else. He loves apples. And it just so happened that this lady pulls out of her bag this bag of apples and she hands it over to him. And we experienced that moment of what it is to encounter strangers who had no need to treat us well, who had no need to care for us on our journey. There's this idea within the Bible that some of us, without knowing it, have encountered angels. And in that moment, I just felt convinced that I'd encountered something that was not normal, that I was cared for in a particular way. We are invited in our travels to travel on purpose. This road is difficult and it is hard. It began in a moment of following Jesus and we're told it will end one day in a particular place. We may not have many ideas about what that place looks like. In the midst of that, there is a journey. There's times on that journey where we feel exactly like my seven-year-old felt. I just can't keep walking. I just need to stop. There's times on that journey where we will feel lost, where we'll feel alone, where we'll feel stuck, where we'll feel scared, where we will long for a stranger who can bring a kind word. There's times on that journey where we want to give up and go backwards. 
That journey is hard. It is difficult. We're invited to travel on purpose and know in the midst of that, this good God who began that story for us is present with us in our loneliness, is in control in our stuckness, is there for us when everybody else has departed, who sends strangers into our way to bring an apple to a four-year-old who longs for nothing else in this world in that moment. Somewhere you are invited to travel on purpose. You are invited to pull the God of the universe into your everyday life. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you are present with us. Thank you that you've given us this journey to walk. God, I pray as we walk this journey, there might be moments where we would look back and see you at work in surprising ways. Pray that there might be moments where we don't just see the journey's end as the purpose, but see the journey itself as something wonderful. Thank you that you are present with us as we learn these lessons. Amen. If God is working in your life through this ministry, join us in reaching others by partnering with us. You can give online at southfellowship.org give or on the South Fellowship Church app. Thanks again for listening and have a great rest of your day.